right, friends, as we settle into this sermon time, I invite you to roll those shoulders back and take a deep breath and be in your body and in this time together. And Pastor Ryan already asked us a question at the beginning to get us thinking about some of the prayers we may have prayed <laughs> this last week or, or even longer, some of the good, silly things we've experienced in prayer but I wonder, too, if, um, if you just take a moment to be in touch with your own story of prayer and another way to particularly your experiences of praying in community, praying in worship, praying for others and for our world, especially praying for something specific that meant everything to you or someone that meant everything to you. So can you just let those parts of your story just rise up and be present? And also be in touch with your story of being a recipient of prayer in community, a community praying for you, okay? When, when you have known that you were being prayed for through a hard time, when it was painful, when stakes were high, maybe even it felt like or it was life or death. So can you just hold tenderly those parts of your story around prayer, yes? Okay, thank you for being present to that. Because as we said today, we are having a conversation in this Why Worship series on why pray. And we are not going to fully unpack what prayer is or how we do it. There's just always so much to say about prayer, right? Today's conversation specifically just zooms right in on this question of why do we pray together in worship? Why is prayer part of what we do every single Sunday? Really, the question is why do we pray together. So to get at this, uh, first I'm going to give us a definition to work with, then we're going to unpack three things in response to this question. There's so many more things to say, but we're just going to do three of them. Yes, a nice three-point sermon for you today. You're welcome. Okay, so let's get to it. Why do we pray together? So first, the definition. There are so many ways to describe and, ex and experience and define prayer, right? So I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I do want us to, to distill it down for our conversation today. And so we're just gonna, this is what we're going to be talking about today, okay? Jesuit priest and author James Martin, he defines prayer as conscious communication with God. Conscious communication with God. Again, many activities lead to an encounter with God, an experience of God, feeling connected to God, which we can include in kind of this big umbrella of prayer. I mean, sweeping the kitchen floor can be an act of prayer, right? Yet for our conversation about prayer today, we're specifically talking about conscious communication with God, consciously choosing to use our words, our thoughts to engage with God and also receiving back that communication at times too. So I, in some ways it feels a little sterile to me to kind of like distill it down this way, but I also think it's very helpful to name it intentionally that this is what we're talking about today when we're talking about prayer. Okay, so why pray together? Well, here are three reasons why. The first, thing one. Thing one comes out of examining what prayer has looked like for God's people who have gathered together in worship like throughout the centuries. And what do God's people do? God's people pray. 
Prayer is what God's people have always done. Like we pray, there is this ongoing living relationship of conscious communication that has always been there, which is like a wow thing, right? Like, wow, that has just always been there. Looking to scripture, we can see the activity of prayer, what that looks like. It evolves over the course of time, but there has been conscious communication between God and God's people. That's always there. Let's just kind of wander through some of the arc of the story of God in the Bible. Like, just think about prayer in the Old Testament. So for Israel, the feast days were days of worship and intentional prayer and remembering as Israel gathered around the table for meals to offer uh, prayers of thanks and prayers of help, prayers that retold the story of their ancestors. The Psalms, right? When we open up the Psalms, we just get such language of prayer, right? How we are to feel all the things and bring those feelings into words, into conscious communication with God, right? And the psalmists just offer very personal, you know, individual prayer. Often it's this one-on-one with God, but also there are prayers prayed for others and with others. Prayers in community in the temple. We can also find there in the Old Testament, like those prescribed words and structures that they were to pray when they were communicating with God. Then we see Jesus model conscious communication with God, taking time alone to pray, yes, and also how he would pray publicly, especially with and for his closest friends, for the disciples, modeling this conscious communication with God in community when they're gathered, yes. Jesus then sends his disciples out. Prayer and healing is what they do when they gather with others on the street and in homes and in worship even on the Sabbath when they're not supposed to be doing anything, even on the Sabbath, the Sabbath is a day for prayer too. Then after Jesus's execution, resurrection, and ascension, the Acts 2 church, you know, these early communities of Jesus followers, you know, they were a praying people, right? At the end of Acts chapter 2, right after the day of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit, we talked about it just a few weeks ago, It says how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It was a mark of their life together. In the early church, we witnessed prayer as central to the life of God's people when they gather, when they worship. So why do we pray together in worship? Thing one is because this is what we do. This is what God's people do. It's what we've always done. And a follow-up question would be, well, why is that? Why do we keep praying? And this is thing number two. Prayer draws us into the big picture of what God is doing. Here's what I mean by that. So I want to revisit something that we talked about on Easter Sunday in 2020, okay? So the Apostle Paul writes this like massive sentence as part of his opening greeting in his letter to the Jesus followers in Ephesus. So in the book of Ephesians, it's chapter one, verses nine and 10, Paul writes, God made known to us the mystery of God's will according to God's good pleasure, which God purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. I know, it's a lot. So I'm going to read it again. So this is what it says. 
God made known to us the mystery of God's will according to God's good pleasure, which God purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So it's massive. It says a lot because it's an overarching theme cooked into the whole story of God and revealing who God is and what God does and is doing. So there's, there's a lot. And Paul is saying here that God is doing something and the something God is doing is to, as it says, bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. All things. And that phrase, all things, is such a good one. It's actually the word in Greek is pas, P-A-S. Can you say that? Pas. Good. So that's all things. So God is doing something with all things, pas. And that something is happening through Christ, it says. So what is God doing? Well, the phrase Paul uses to describe what God is up to in Christ is translated here as to bring unity, and the word in Greek for to bring unity is anakephaleosisthai. Do you remember this word, anakephaleosisthai? Yeah. Can you say anakephaleosisthai? Anakephaleosisthai. Yes, I knew you could. So anakephaleosisthai is translated in a few different ways in the New Testament. Sometimes as the word recapitulate. And recapitulate means to retell. And so God is retelling. In other places, uh, anakephale osisthai is translated as restore, reconcile, renew. So this thing that God is doing is retelling, restoring, reconciling, and renewing. What things? All things, right? Pas. All things in heaven and on earth. Everything. So this is the thing that Jesus' resurrection christened, right? It brought into fulfillment. This is what God did and is still doing all around us all the time, the restoration and renewing of all things. That is where all this is headed, which should sound familiar, not only if you were here for Easter 2020, but it should also sound familiar because this is another way to describe what we just heard in our sermon series trailer, that all this, like everything that seems so hard right now, all this is headed somewhere. And that somewhere is good. It is heaven and earth becoming one. The kingdom of God, it is anakephaleosisthine that God is doing with all things. And yes, worship is part of how we play our role in God's renewing and restoring of all things. Prayer, then, is our conscious communication with God to seek this healing and this justice, this restoration. It is an act of faithful movement towards this thing that is happening all around us. So praying, then, places us into this kingdom of God because prayer makes us envision what God's kingdom looks like for this thing, this person, this illness, this situation that we pray for, right? We have to like listen for God and envision what could be. And so we're drawn into this restorative healing trajectory that God's movement here on earth, uh, is that it's all happening. We're drawn back into that through prayer. When we're overwhelmed that the cancer is back, the depression is too much, or the family dysfunction is out of control, or we're without a home or without a job when we're stuck at home for a year because of a global pandemic and all its repercussions, when we see the harm done against our LGBTQ folks 
and the racism and the white, white supremacy that persists, when we see the injustices of our world, you know, it's just, it's too much. I know I feel lost in all of it. But prayer orients us into, back towards where all this is headed. Prayer gives us a true north, reminds us that everything is working and moving towards the restoration of all things. Prayer draws our eyes and our bodies and our hope back into that trajectory. Remember, remember that this is headed somewhere. So this is true both as we pray for others, you know, we're drawn back into this arc of God, this movement of God that is unfolding around us and in us, and also as we too are prayed for, which is why we pray together, right? So that this time of worship reorients us into this anakephaleosis thighing. We're reoriented here on Sunday so that we can go and pray and participate in this restoration of all things in every other corner of our lives. That's what's happening here in worship as we pray together. So thing one, we pray because God's people pray. It's what we do. Thing two, we pray because we're drawn back into the vision and reality of the big picture of our good God who is making all things new. But then even as we pray in faith, we pray with a certain amount of acceptance of all that we don't know, which is finally thing three. Thing three really embraces also the messiness of prayer. We don't know God's full vision and God's full unfolding story in our lives and world. We don't know what restoration of all things looks like. We don't know the timeline. As we pray, we don't know when or how these things will be completely restored. And that is the great unknown and the great heartbreak of where prayer can take us. Why do some prayers seem to go unanswered? I do not know. But we do know that something happens when we pray. So we keep praying are you still in touch with your own experiences of prayer? Praying with others, being prayed for by others. So let's bring ourselves into this messiness of prayer. I know for me, when I consider the question about prayer in my life, like I hardly have the words to capture what prayer has meant to me in my life, especially at the times of heartbreak and tragedy. And I have this distinct memory that comes up for me about, um, it's after my concussion and my diagnosis of post-concussion syndrome in the fall of 2018. And I don't remember exactly when it was, but I know it was when my brain felt particularly broken, when I was overwhelmed by noises and sights and my attempts to think were just too much. I was in my bedroom at night, kind of before bedtime, and I was actually laying on this, we'd place this extra mattress at the foot of our bed that Jason and I share uh, because he would sleep there at night so that I could have our bed and not be disturbed at all as I tried to rest and get brain rest and everything else. And I'm, so I'm laying on that mattress, that extra one, and I'm, I'm crying and I'm, Jason's there and he's trying to comfort me and I'm crying because the terror and grief were so overwhelming. I was terrified that I wouldn't get better so panicked because I had no idea who I would be if my brain didn't work. And I remember Jason, 
he's there and he's comforting me. And I, I had this overwhelming need to go and write an update for our email prayer line, as well as like post on Facebook about it. Like I desperately needed to know that folks were praying for me to know that other people knew my suffering and were holding it with me. It was like the only thing that felt like comfort and like any source of hope. I needed a witness, yes. And I needed to know I was being prayed for. Have you ever experienced this desperate need to know you were being held and being prayed for? It echoes of Jesus's request in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's just moments before he's betrayed by his friend Judas and soldiers bear him away to be tried and executed. But before that happens, he takes along with him Peter, James, and John. And it says how Jesus in the garden, he plunges into this agonizing sorrow. Then he says, this sorrow is crushing out my life. Stay here and keep vigil with me. Then he goes on ahead and he falls on his face and he prays, my father, if there is any way, get me out of this. But please, not what I want. You, what do you want? Not my will, but your will, right? Is the other way that we've heard this text. So in his own agony, Jesus asks his friends to stay and keep vigil with him. Then when he thinks, you know, he's being held, then that is the moment when he can release himself into the unknown and into wherever God will take him in this. Man, this is what I ached for in my own fear and grief, for my friends and family to be with me and keep vigil with me. Pray for me so that I don't hold my pain alone. Pray with me because I don't know what healing will look like, what God will do in this. I don't know if I will be healed, how recovered my brain will be. I, and I, I didn't know. I still don't know. I have gotten so much better, but the journey continues. But it was this desperate need to say, pray with me so that my suffering might be held in the healing embrace of the kingdom of God. Pray with me. Because to know that folks are praying for me is a physical comfort I can feel in my body. To know I am held somehow in some way in the restoration of all things. To know that this too could be restored again. Knowing I was being prayed for was how I knew God was with me and how I could release myself into the unknown and into God's embrace. Has this ever been you? Your words of this sorrow is crushing out my life. Stay here and keep vigil with me. Or have you been the one who held and kept vigil and prayer for another? We pray together in worship because we are intended to be a community that holds each other in our pain as we hope and pray for the healing and restoration we know is coming and we hold each other through whatever form that healing may take because it isn't always what we expect or something we live to see in this lifetime. We pray so that we can remind each other that God is here even in this, especially in this, as all things are being restored. This gift of prayer is a unique, unique gift that people of faith that we have to offer the world Prayer, 
You know, we also need to be people who are kind and generous and who bring meals and vote and march and protest and call our representatives and volunteer at Kirkland Place and give of our money to places and causes that are also working into this vision of God's kingdom. There are so many ways that we participate in this life of God and give of ourselves in love. And yet prayer is a unique gift people of faith have to offer the world this chance to help others know and see this God who is with them, who is bringing all things into unity, everything in heaven and on earth, retold, restored, renewed. If there was any time our friends and family and neighbors and folks in our lives were desperately hungry for that good news, man, this is that time. This is why we pray together because it's what God's people do. It's how we step into what God is doing all around us to bring unity to all things. And it's how we hold each other in the pain and waiting until it does. So my friends, we already asked it earlier, but if you haven't had a chance, I invite you to go to the bulletin page and let us know how we can hold you, keep vigil with you, and pray for you today. What's just one thing that we can pray for for you? Is this a garden of Gethsemane time for you? Or someone near you in that kind of time? So thank you for taking time in advance. Thank you for taking time. And thank you for your vulnerability. Then Pastor Ryan will pray for these prayers on, on all, all of our behalves in a few minutes. But first, before we move to that, I want to close our sermon time with a special song. Uh, it's a prayer song shared uh, with me by Sister Liz from our community this week. So we're going to hear this song. It's six minutes, uh, and it meets at a beautiful intersection of this theme of why pray, as well as Pride Month. So this is a prayer written and sung by Spencer LaJoy, whose personal pronouns are they, them, Spencer said this of their song. They said, If you know me well, you know I don't pray. It's not, what I, it's not that I don't know how or that I don't think the practice can be fruitful. It's just that some of us get prayed for in ways we don't want, in ways that don't honor us, in ways that recloset us, in ways that short-circuit our grief, in ways that pity us, and ways that really hurt. So I tend to avoid it in the name of do no harm. But I was tasked with writing a song for a group's uh, prayer communion gathering this week, so I had to stare prayer in the face. And I thought, what would a prayer sound like if it was used as a balm instead of a weapon, a plowshare instead of a sword? So here's my go at that a plowshare prayer. So this is Spencer LaJoy's song, A Plowshare Prayer. You can find and support them on Patreon if you'd like. But with this, we just put an exclamation point on this conversation of prayer by making space to be blessed by Spencer's prayer for us and for so many in need of being held in their pain as they are and being drawn once again into the restoring, renewing, reconciling movement of God in all things all around us. So friends, receive this prayer 
as we listen and pray. Look out. 
that this works against you and your word. I pray that this prayer is a plowshare of sorts. 